You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. The epic highs and lows <laughs> we faced this last week. I thought we were on track to having like the best week of our life, right? Oh, of certainly like the 2020s. Yeah. Oh, yes, because they have been real shit thus far. Let uh-huh. me let me run you through <laughs> what was happening at Teen Wolf Rewolf HQ on Monday. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> on Monday, it is announced two hours before tickets go on sale that Follow Boy is playing a surprise show at Metro. For anybody who doesn't know or has never heard, listened to this podcast, Julia and I love emo music, and I am a massive Follow Boy fan. We are like truly, we're buzzing, we're vibrating. It is so unlikely that we're going to get tickets. Metro is about a thousand capacity house for anybody who doesn't live in Chicago. It's an insanely small show, an insanely small window of time to get them. They go on sale. Yours truly, Christian Skellian, somehow manages to get two tickets for me and Julia to go see Fall Out Boy. And then she had no good luck the rest of her life. And then we go. We're like, that was the best concert of my life. We are having the time of our fucking lives. We're like, the only thing that's going to make this better is the Teen Wolf movie coming out. Great. So the Teen Wolf movie drops. It drops the next day after the Fall Out Boy concert. We are euphoric from how much fun we had. Mm-hmm. We are going to sit down to watch. We're going to sit down to watch Teen Wolf. My best friend tells me that she's getting a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> like truly a family emergency. <laughs> truly a family emergency. Like I know if you guys were looking at our Twitter, you may not have believed me. Like we got 20 minutes into this and like... It is not funny, by the way. It is so tragically not funny. But it was like we were up, 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 and then the roller coaster the stalled and then it fell over. <laughs> yeah, not even like a fun descent. It's <laughs> no. just like the wood caught on fire. Yeah, and they had to get us down with like the cherry picker <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Okay, so we're like, fine. Okay, we, we have to deal with the problems as, we co- as they come to us. We're adults. This week couldn't be just good. Um, and then, and then (laughs) the next day we're like, okay, we're dealing, we're dealing with a lot of personal issues. It sense of euphoria has been completely deflated, but we still have something to look forward to. Still have something to look forward to. We sit down and then we watch the worst movie (laughs) either of us have ever seen the borderline, Teen Wolf movie. Borderline unwatchable. No, not even borderline. No, 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 I will never watch this ever again. And never. in fact, if I did not have to cover it for the podcast, I would not have fucking watched. So I want you guys to know <laughs> that the highs, this was the epic highs and lows of high school football. And us doing this right now is truly a labor of love for the Rewolf. Yeah. And that's about it. And I want to say, like, here at the Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast, a podcast <laughs> where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. Hi, my name is Christian. I'm Julia. We do not set out to be haters. Like, this whole podcast was a severe labor of love because we love Teen Wolf and we mm-hmm. want it to be good and we know that it's not hot television, but the points when it shines, shines so bright that we were really, you know, we we are, are on the record for not having wanted a season seven, and that's fine. But when we heard it was going to be a movie, we were really sort of like, I think I even said in one of our like pre-movie episodes that like even if it's bad, that's fine because I missed this. Mm-hmm. I wish had I had no idea. I had no idea just how horrible this was, and I'm really, 
I feel bad saying this because I know that there were people who were delighted by it and did reap a lot from it. But the part, the the claws that scratch my itch in Teen Wolf were nowhere to be seen. There was nothing keeping me into this movie. They were miles, miles away. And I'm I'm sure that if you <laughs> if you enjoyed this movie and you're tired of hearing people dunk on it. This is not dunking. It's not mean if it's true, but you are free to stop listening to this episode. Uh, but to the multiple, multiple, beautiful, sexy, fine, fierce members of the Wolf Pack <laughs> who have already contact- contacted us to let us know that they also hated it, stick around and get ready for the complaint sesh because, ooh, baby. Pour yourself a glass of a beverage. because A, a beverageina. We sure have. Yeah. Um. How are we going to get through this without it? I don't know. Do you guys, <laughs> do you guys just want to hear us talk about the Fall Out Boy concert instead? It was pretty rad. Somebody had to go to the hospital after. I'm pretty sure Pete fell on them. Oh, do you think it was? There were a lot of crowd surfers. That would be really yeah. funny, though. Um, Yeah, so I just, like, I, I tell you that story about our week just to sort of describe how... To give you a point of reference for how disappointing this was, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that we are not the only people. In fact, I'm sure we were not the only people at the Follow Boy concert who were going to turn around <laughs> and watch the Teen Wolf movie. There was definitely some overlap in the Venn diagram, <laughs> for sure. Um, but I, yeah, I it, it was it was pretty pretty hard to watch. So let's let's get into it this movie Mm. teen wolf the movie written by jeff davis teen wolf creator directed by og teen wolf director russell mulcahy close personal friend but not after this no our our true close personal friend ryan kelly is also in the movie Friend Um, friend of the pod starring tyler posey tyler hecklin dylan sprayberry crystal crystal reed jared bourne but not really starring anybody, to be honest. It's really, it's really just Tyler. Um, before we get in mm-hmm. to the nitty gritty, Julia, there's something that we have had to do. I've been having the anxiety sweats about it all we've, day. We've been thinking about this for a while. <laughs> if you are not familiar with the Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast, this is when we give a review or an explanation of the plot as fast as possible. Uh, For movies, we try to see who can do it the fastest. Mm -hmm. For episodes of Teen Wolf, we try to do it in under 60 seconds. For this, I'm not even going to keep a timer. We just do how we do, right? Because it feels like that's the in-between of doing something for a movie and something for Teen Wolf. Sure. Um, I am still going to try to talk real fast, though, so that I can just get it out of my body. Yeah, I got to get it out out of the way. Yeah. Uh, Julia... We do have to decide who's going first. Are you ready for a rousing game of rock, paper, scissors? That nobody can see but us. Absolutely. Nobody can see but us. All right. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. <laughs> oh my gosh. For the gosh. first time ever. For the first time ever, <laughs> yours truly, Christian Skilly, and one rock, paper, scissors. That Fall Out Boy ticket juju is like the luck sticking yeah, around. Still, well, I mean... I think I'm reclaiming some of the luck after those other bad things happened. <laughs> yeah, but those were not like in our control. Those are just things that are happening around us. Yeah. Well, so. Mer- Mercury is out of Gatorade for like the first time in Forevsky's. So. so it's like Halloween. Mm-hmm. So everybody go out and do the things that that's been stopping you from doing. Yeah, totally. So, Julia, without further ado, why don't you give us your explanation of what happens in the Teen Wolf movie? One, two, three, go. 
Okay, so uh, Liam is living in Japan for some reason with his girlfriend. Who, her name's Hikari, and some stranger comes into their ramen shop and is like, I need this little special box. And it turns out that it's the box that has, holds the Nugitsune, and he steals it and like sets it free to go wreak havoc on Scott and his friends. Scott is living in L.A., um, running an animal shelter, but sometimes he gets called in to do some special jobs for um, the L.A. Fire Department. Who's to say? Uh, Lydia is running a big company where they do like acoustic sound energy that makes no sense to me and doesn't seem plausible in the real world, but she has accidentally written Allison all over her reports. Chris shows up and is like, I've been having all these dreams about Allison, and she keeps saying the word Bardo, and then we have to be explained what Bardo is, even though we already know it. And they try to... um, perform a ritual basically and they bring in Jackson to help out with it where they're going to resurrect Allison the point of it is not entirely clear to me but they succeed she's there they take her to the hospital she's like completely amnesiac she doesn't remember anybody and she manages to run away um and gets cornered by the Nogitsune who tricks her basically or manipulates her into going after Scott and all of his friends she tries to start with Derek um meanwhile in the other part of town Mason is a cop I don't we've covered that before and um somebody is like setting fires all over Beacon Hills and Eli Hale is Derek Hale's son and he keeps stealing the jeep um you know but he also plays lacrosse so that's super fun um Allison comes after Derek, then doesn't go very well. Um, there's like, you know, lacrosse shenanigans that start happening. Coach is there. Um, Allison goes after Scott next and basically almost kills him and then, you know, gets convinced that he is who he says he is for some reason. And then the Nogitsune starts really wreaking havoc on people and vanishing them uh, to like a, a special spiritual realm uh, as part of like his fun little game. There's a big lacrosse game at the end of it, like the tournament the state finals or whatever. And we find out after all of this, that the person trying to manipulate the Nugitsune is dead. Mr. Harris, <laughs> the science teacher. <laughs> um, Lydia manages to like get through to everybody by being, you know, her banshee self. Also, um, forgot to mention, but this happens earlier in the movie. We find out that Malia and Parrish are not dating, but definitely fucking. And um, that's, you know, he wants to be in a relationship with her. She doesn't want to be in a relationship with him. I don't know. Um, Liam and Hikari like finally catch up, but they also get zapped to the spiritual realm. Um, eventually, Parrish gets stuck there, and they're like, oh, well, the only way to kill the Nugitsune is to set him on fire with the Hellfire. And Derek is like, I'll sacrifice myself, hugging the Nugitsune and keeping him in place while you like vanquish him with Hellfire. And then so Derek is dead. Very sad. We end the movie basically um, on his funeral. And then also Scott and Allison decide to be together and adopt Eli. The end of the movie. I'm 100% sure I missed so much. That's okay. That's okay. We'll see how I do. That was too much, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you ready? No. Christian. Never in my life. The story of Teen Wolf, the movie. No. On your mark gets it i'm not timing anything go okay so uh liam and hikari are in a restaurant in japan i think it's never actually explained but he's speaking japanese so i think they're in japan and mr harris who's revealed later comes in and he's like i want the box with the 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 nogutsune fireflies and they're like no and they get in a fight but he gets it anyway and he makes a deal with the nogutsune to like do something it's not actually explained <laughs> lady is working this high power job and she's like experiencing allison hallucinations and scott's halluc- hallucinating allison and he tells deaton this after he rescues a dog and then chris shows up and is like i'm hallucinating allison she must be in bardo which is brought up in season three so then lydia's like actually there's this ritual we can bring her back from the dead 
And they bring her back from the dead, but she's obviously being manipulated by the Nogitsune, and she starts going after everybody. And meanwhile, Derek has a son who keeps stealing uh, the car. It's not explained who this kid's mom is or how long Derek has known that he's a dad or anything like that, because the kid's 15, but it's only been like 13 years since the series or whatever. And uh, Allison is brought back to life, and Jackson is there, and he has claws. And then (laughs) once Allison starts hunting down the werewolves, because that's all she can remember, because the last thing that she has in her brain is that she is a teenage werewolf hunter uh she hunts down scott and then she like traps him in a bunker and he's like hey do you remember that we used to be like kind of in love and she's like oh shit we used to be kind of in love and then we zoom out back to the rest of the plot and it turns out that mr harris and the nogitsune have this evil plan to trap everybody at the lacrosse finals because apparently beacon hills is good at lacrosse now and they like are able to go to these finals in this big stadium there's ten thousand people there and meanwhile, the Nogitsune has been zapping people in what just seems to be a sort of season 6A repeat type of zone of like a train station, but it's nowhere near as fun because Styles and Peter aren't there. And in the t- train station, we find out, or in the, the secret other realm, which is technically in 3, but that doesn't really seem to be what's happening. In the secret other realm, we find out that Hellfire can kill a Nogitsune, which, wow, wouldn't that have been convenient in season 3? <laughs> Derek sacrifices himself to kill the Nogitsune. Mr. Harris is also killed, I think. Um, that is literally it. Like it is most of this movie is expository dialogue and nothing happening. <laughs> like it, it really feels like stuff is happening though, because the cuts are so fast. Oh my God. Okay. You here's, know what? <laughs> here's how we're going to break this down. I am so overwhelmed by how many problems I have. We need to like break like this. in life or <laughs> the team of movie. You know what? Work's been really stressful lately. <laughs> retweet yeah um let's okay let's flash back to the teen rewolf of old let's talk a little bit about all of our characters let's catch everybody up to what they've been doing for the last little bit from what we can glean and then instead of talking about what works and what doesn't work we're just going to talk about what doesn't work because (laughs) it is a waste of my time to try to sit here and make up shit that I liked um and I've been thinking about it for days so yeah it really would be a waste of not just our time but yours as well how many people have stopped listening at this point (laughs) anyway come back let's check in with our characters let's do let's talk about the main man of the hour Scott McCall yeah Julia talk about Scott so Scott may or may not have gone to veterinary school not 100% sure no that was definitely where he thought he was headed um at the end of season 6b or maybe not he was like off to um destroy Monroe destroy Monroe save the world from the like secrets international sleeper cell to destroy supernatural creature I don't I do not know um but he either Made it to vet school or he doesn't. He runs an animal shelter in L.A. um, next door to Deaton. So they're still besties. Theoretically, he's still an alpha. Mm -hmm. And he uses his fun special powers and his really cute little acrylic claws to save dogs from burning buildings. And he's still in love with Allison. Which Which is insane for all of the other girlfriends he had after that. Who he was like, for sure, he's in love with. Yeah. Right? Because he was a teenage boy. Yeah. And it's also just sort of like, obviously, like trauma in your teenage years never really leaves you. But the idea that he's been sitting and pining over somebody who he had technically moved on from in canon is wild. And I don't mean moved on in like a curt sort of like callous way. No. I mean that he was able to find love again. He wasn't stunted by that, which makes his plot even weirder. Absolutely. He's still so cute and so handsome, though. Yes. I will say. It was very nice to see him. I I really do like the fact that he and Deaton are still... Not 
maybe besties. I don't know what the correct mentor term is. mentees. Yeah. Um, we don't really see any part of his life outside of um, the animal shelter because the only like interior scenes we really have with him are like at, at his, his mom's, mom's house, house yeah. or the school. Um, so we don't, we don't totally know about the interior life of Scott McCall, except for the fact that he's being plagued by nightmares. A downfall to this movie. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Let's talk about Allison. She <laughs> is a 17 year old and a 30 year old's body. She has no characterization other than she has amnesia. She has no agency in this movie post coming out of her stupor that makes her want to kill werewolves. And she is basically used as a prop. Oh, who can only be swayed by the memory of true love. How dare you bring Crystal Reed back for that? It is embarrassing. And she is doing everything with what she has, truly. I, no, at no point did I think that, like, there was a, hu- a few parts where I could tell that the actors were only phoning it in because they were working with so little. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at Crystal Reed and I'm looking at, like, on paper, if you're like, she's going to come back, she's going to have amnesia, she's going to become a werewolf hunter again, and she's going to have to relearn who she is. If you pitch that to me and I'm Crystal Reed, I'd be like, that's a great that's plot. fantastic, yeah. Execution, zero. Because we have no way to understand, like, why she is so easily swayed by the Nugitsune. Like, she, you know, doesn't even recognize Chris. No one is able to stop her before she kind of gets into this, like, mind-killing site. And we don't see any of the real process of her coming to remember who she is. She just all of a sudden remembers Lydia. Yeah. Which, like, yes, of course you do. She's your best friend. But, like... There's no growth from her, which is especially frustrating because the last time we saw her, she was a teenager. Yes, I agree. And also, like, she's still a teenager in this movie, Mm -hmm. which is why it's even weirder that she ends up with Scott at the end. Gross. Yeah. Not to be like, not to be like, she needs not again. And I'm not trying to remove any agency from her further, but she need she probably needs support that isn't jumping into a romantic relationship with somebody who is now 13 years her senior. Well, we. We discussed this a lot when we uh, talked about Malia Mm -hmm. in the first couple of, like, her first few appearances on the show. Is that everybody's just treating her like she's a 16-year-old when, Mm -hmm. in fact, she was, what, eight? Yeah. When she became full-time Coyote Girl? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Not on Earth. All right. Lydia. Lydia's working a high-power job in tech, which is... uh, Obvious. She was always going to end up there if she was living in San Francisco. Uh, She's still best friends with Jackson, who does Very not important to me personally? Yeah, love that. Colton Haynes is a is a high point of this movie. I think Absolutely. that he is delightful. He's funny. I wish that they had given Jackson something more to do than remind people that he's a canima. He doesn't even get to be a canima in this movie. No, it's so funny that they blew all the CGI budget on some her a fake rock, a fake rock, and then didn't give Jackson <laughs> a freaking tail. Um, so it, it's sweet to see him. Sweet to see him interact with Lydia. Colton Haynes and Holland Roden are such good friends that like their chemistry always Mm -hmm. shines through even some really uglier moments. Yeah. But primarily Lydia is here to let us know that she is not a banshee anymore because she just decided not to be, which I have thoughts about that because it was so incontrollable Mm -hmm. and we never really saw her learn control beyond learning how to control her powers in use of them. We never watched her learn how to stifle them. So it's really odd to me that she's not just still just like finding dead bodies. Like there was no explanation for that. She was like, if you don't work at it, it's like, yeah, but I would rather know you worked at not feeling it than Mm -hmm. you just giving up 
fun experience. That was weird. Super weird. Anyway, but she does show up and she does have a ritual for bringing Allison back from the dead, which is totally nonsensical. Also, has she been in contact with Chris? You would think that all of these people would have been at least in a little bit of contact with each other, but especially Lydia and Chris, Mm -hmm. because they are the two people who, like, if Scott decides to just fuck off to L.A., Chris's job still puts him in touch with the supernatural on the daily, Mm -hmm. right? So you would think that he and Lydia would have stayed in contact. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Who's Mm -hmm. who's to say? Anyway, Lydia's main plot of this main, main function in this movie does... It starts, it obviously is the inciting event that she knows this ritual that is never explained. We don't even get a country of origin, actually, which uh, even though it was not always well executed, at least we got that in the OG Teen Wolf series. Mm-hmm. Because like we, they were pulling from like actual mythologies. There's not a single part of this that is pulled from any kind of actual mythology other than the recycled No Getsune plot. Anyway, she does come back at the end and she is able to talk to the people who are in the Nogitsune Dreamland slash season 6A train station th- by screaming at them because she still is a banshee and she proves it to everybody. But, but we banshees. never thought she wasn't. So that's weird. Well, we learned something new in this movie, which is that banshees don't scream. They wail. Yeah. Well, I actually liked that. But I was like, okay. It, it, but it felt like gilding the lily at this point. We kind of assume that that's what she's doing anyway. So much of this movie felt like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Deaton is in it for not at all. He's no there. To, he's there to give Scott a vocabulary lesson, which um, he, Scott's thirty. <laughs> Scott's thirty, and he doesn't know what the word wistful means. Yeah, there's just no way. Yep, ain't no way. Um, Deaton's role in the initial series was often frustrating because he clearly knew more than he was letting on in certain aspects. Of the show, um, but he always was able to sort of like be the myth- mythological encyclopedia. But he mostly just stands there to like raise doubts um, and be a body in a room. You know what I will say though? Hmm. You know who's looking fine? Seth Gillum. He's looking really real good. Look, looks really good. <laughs> he looks excellent. Everybody looked foxy. But I was, I think it's just because I'm older now, mm-hmm. you know, and so my tastes have aged with me. So I'm looking at like now Seth Gillum who's older and I'm like, what a what, foxy gentleman. What a handsome man. Yeah. Should we talk about hot daddy Chris Argent? Yeah, let's talk about Chris, who has been, it. Uh, it is not explained, but clearly is no longer in a relationship with Melissa. That would have been a really interesting thing to try to do some character work with. Uh, it seems like mm-hmm. everybody who was in a relationship at the end of the show just looks at the person they were in a relationship with and is like, well, this is awkward. Uh, <laughs> it's either that you actually have shit to still work out and it's more than just awkward, or you've gotten over it because it's been 13 years. Pick. And you're adults. And you're adults. Pick. Um, no explanation for that. That was boring. Uh, Chris has clearly... This whole movie is about doing a grieving process that should have happened in season four. And to be honest, anybody who's experienced like monumentous grief like this will will tell you mm-hmm. that grief does not get any lighter, but the space in which you experience it gets farther. Mm-hmm. So they've had all of this time to really process this, to really try to create a life that is fulfilling outside of their relationships to Allison. And Chris comes back in this movie like he should have come back in the fourth season of Teen Wolf. Completely devoid of any kind of like meaning or life or substance other than mourning his daughter Mm -hmm. who has been gone for a decade plus. 
And there's no real explanation through the movie as to why he is reacting the way that he does, because obviously those nightmares would be upsetting, but everything that we know about Chris from his characterization in previous seasons is that he is a very level-headed, methodical, logical guy. Mm-hmm. And if who has had close contact with the supernatural his entire adult life and even his like teenage years. So if he were experiencing this issue of having all of these nightmares about Allison, everything we know about him tells us that he would try to figure out what was going on. It wouldn't drive him crazy the way that it seems to in this movie. Yeah, I will say everybody's reactions to everything. And this is an observation I had. Everybody's acting on 11 right now. And it makes no sense. And it's also not really playing into the highest intelligence of these characters. So Chris comes back and he has half of a ritual, which Lydia somehow knows the rest of. Again, are they talking? And is basically there to give them the ritual. Is not there when they perform it because he gets possessed by the Nogetsune briefly. Only to say the word motherfucker real loud. Oh my god. And Deaton saves him. And that's like basically where I feel like they drop out of the movie. Yeah. Well... No, you're right. They're they're in the little um Well, Chris comes to the hospital mm-hmm. and is like, "Oh, Allison's alive." He has a little tête-à-tête with Peter um and then gets disappeared to yeah. the Nogitsune realm, basically. Yeah. Which yeah. is is real, mm-hmm. I guess. I guess. <laughs> um Jackson we already kind of talked about Malia, I uh, I guess oh is God. the owner of Hale Auto Shop, which is where Styles's Jeep is being held. First of all, good for her. Yeah, we love we love a, a, a high power woman with a job, <laughs> very sexy job as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, being a, a lady mechanic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, really hot. Um, <laughs> no explanation as to how she became a mechanic, uh, other than perhaps Styles gave her some car information and she got interested at one point. And is she doing this with her uncle Derek? Or dad, Peter, I have Maybe, no idea. No clue. Not a not a clue. Yeah. Uh, Malia seems to be sort of like a, uh, what I would call a cool girl. And not in the way that she like was before. Like Malia has always been hot, but she was like socially awkward because she was not socialized. socialized. Yeah. Now she's just sort of like, I fuck without feelings and I have, I, I'm here to fuck and be like a badass. And it's like, okay. Yeah. Um, and I will say that on for her on-screen reveal we both screamed at the top of our lungs and had to pause the movie for a full five minutes it was so embarrassing yeah that weird little like it wasn't even a sex scene but that weird little like she jumps on Parrish naked and rips his buttons it was like this looks like like a porn a porn yeah Yeah. and it was so gratuitous and weird and also yeah why perish is it just because they're the only two people left in town who know each other that is real that is super possible but also if that's what the issue is um say it yeah tell me why they're together i super don't get it no explanation other than them just sort of being like hot and down which like can be your explanation but they didn't even do that either because it's clear that Parrish has feelings for her that she doesn't quite reciprocate mm-hmm. but they do not go into that they just like we're not talking about this right now why not why isn't anybody talking about anything in this whole goddamn movie they just say so many words that you could get off of like an inspirational fortune cookie and you're like Cool. I guess that's the dialogue for this scene. Moving on. Julia did get a fortune cookie the other day that says she's going to meet a special someone. At a friend's party. So yeah. if anybody wants to be my friend and throw a party for that express 
fortune. We have some birthdays coming up. Let me know. Yeah. We sure do. Yeah. Not oh, yeah, ours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ours are for ours for a while, but <laughs> oh, so that's God. what Malia's up to. And Parrish. Uh, Parrish is still a deputy at the sheriff department. I don't really know how ranking works in a sheriff's department. Me neither, but it seems is, like... Is deputy... Well, I think deputy might just be, like, the the vice sheriff, I guess. I don't know how that works. But they're, like, sheriff's deputies. He's not the only one. I guess. I think. Uh, yeah. We did not think to look that up before we started the podcast. The point is, he has not progressed in his career, and that's a little odd. It is so... Parrish is, like, what nearing 40 Mm -hmm. if all of these other people are in their 30s yeah so that's weird yep that said it's a it's always good to see a close personal friend of the podcast ryan kelly you know and he's just very handsome he is he's nice to look at it was good to see him come back oh Um, wait hold on i've just i've just googled it okay Uh, the sheriff is the top ranking officer in the department and is almost always an elected official which is what we've talked about before the assistant sheriff or under sheriff followed by division chief Captain, Lieutenant, Sergeant, Corporal, and Deputy it is the lowest rank. He's never had a promotion. He's not even Sergeant or Captain. Captain Parrish. Very, very sexy. He should be what? the second in command. Why the hell is he Deputy? Mason can be a Deputy. That's fine, even though it's also been 10 years, so that's still weird. So he should be a Lieutenant. Yeah. And what? They were just like, yeah. That is a question. (laughs) That is a question you answered on Google in 15 seconds and Jeff Davis just didn't even bother to Google. They were like, well, no, because so much of this movie is like stuck on reminding us how things were in the past. Of course, Parrish would still be a deputy. You're right. Yeah. The fuck? Um, Speaking of deputies, Mason is also a deputy. (sighs) I hated this one because they did not give Mason anything to do in this movie. And I love Mason. I also hated this that Mason was a genius. He was the Lydia level genius of the baby pack. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe that he is working at a police at a sheriff's office, sheriff station in bumfuck nowhere, California, and not working with Lydia because we know that this kid was like crazy high intelligence, mm-hmm. an exceptional researcher. We know that he is driven, motivated. We know that he is a very um, you know, fierce friend to people. So he's clearly not with Liam anymore. What a complete sham to do that to his character and then not do anything with his character mm-hmm. other than to have him show up and then get disappeared by the Nogetsune. He and Liam do not speak to each other. Insane. What on earth? It's also crazy because as far as I know, and I'm not, you know, close personal with any of these people, mm-hmm. Kylan Rambo and... Uh, Dylan Sprayberry are friends. Yeah, homies. Yeah, I don't understand that um, at all. If you, like, there is absolutely a way. Here's here's my biggest problem with this movie, and I'll get this right off the bat. Some of this stuff is interesting, and there was a way to do it interestingly in a way that would have made me care about this movie, and it just goes in the complete opposite direction. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to have Mason still be in Beacon Hills, make him a doctor. Yeah. Have him work for Deaton. Like, have him, because he's also being set up as the next oh, wait, emissary. because Deaton doesn't live there anymore either. Yeah, but he But he be- was being set up as the next emissary, yeah, totally. Yeah, and so also, 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 if the Nematon is still drawing supernatural creatures to Beacon Hills, it, it would have made sense if there was another werewolf pack there and Mason was their emissary. Like, there were any number of ways to respect the character that you wrote mm-hmm. instead of making him a fucking sheriff's deputy. Yeah, yeah. What on earth? How out of character. Um, speaking of Mason, uh, Liam is not explained why he lives in Japan. If that's where he is again, it's really unclear or how he met Hikari or what he's doing with his life. 
Yeah. Where did uh, he go to school? Where did he go to school? We don't we don't know anything about him other than he has a maybe girlfriend. We're not entirely sure. It's never actually clarified whether or not they're in a romantic relationship. Hikari, who is used as a prop. Oh, it made me so mad. Infuriated. I I also like it is so insane that you are trying to replicate a plot line, your most popular plot line, without the two characters that made those plot lines work. It is, it was, it's a question I have had about this movie since they announced who the villain was going to be and sort of what the plot was going to hinge around. Yeah. And I was like, it's possible. They have done it before. Uh, they have hinged a plot on Styles without Dylan O'Brien actually being there very successfully. Mm-hmm. But they weren't even trying to replicate that. So I don't really understand what the point of that was. And it makes me really disappointed because if they had brought Hikari in as the main character of this movie, it would have been far more interesting to bring the Nugutsune back, Nugutsune back because she is a kitsune. Mm-hmm. Um, you would have been able to set up a greater, a grander story. You would have been able to actually encapsulate a lot of what Leah, Mason, whatever, have been doing sort of post, especially post Monroe, which if you wanted to just void that, I guess that's fine because we all hated 6B. We all, we, listeners of the Teen Wolf, we, we did. hated 6B. <laughs> Not everybody, but you know, um, the wolf pack. And... The fact that that goes completely unmentioned, it sucks because as much as I hated it, it happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you had done this entire movie around Hikari and and even Liam, you would have had something so much more substantial to build future lore off of because it's clear that they tried to set this up for a, a, a second movie. Oh, in the most embarrassing way possible. But all Hikari is there is to be set dressing, Liam's friend, and then to give her powers, all of her agency, away to Scott. It made me furious. I want. I could have broken something. I was, the TV. I yeah. was basically chewing glass by mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. I was infuriated. So well, Hikari, it's so nice to have you. Mm-hmm. Um, that actress, Amy Workman. Yes. Was de- like very charming in the few scenes we got to see her. Uh, I think that was probably a waste of her talent and uh, just honestly a waste of my time. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, oh God. Yeah. Moving on, we have the sheriff and Melissa, who are there as props, and who have not changed at all. Who in have not years. changed at all. Nothing has changed, and still live in the same house, still doing the same jobs, still whatevering. Which is like, if you want to have that sort of consistency from your adult characters, I very much get that. But it's not even though it's not even like Scott returns to Beacon Hills for his mother's comfort and stability. It's just convenient. He also says he hasn't been back in a really, really long time, which fake is fake news. He loves his mom. Yeah, wild considering that his mom lives there and his best friend's dad lives there mm-hmm. and his Derek lives there. His his other father yeah, lives his there. His other father lives there. His brother. We were brothers. We were brothers, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Okay. <laughs> and then Derek and Eli. Uh, Derek has a baby, Eli, at some point in the last 15 years. Eli is basically a TikTok star. Very <laughs> handsome. A, a cute little Zoomer baby mm-hmm. who is kind of set up to be like a Styles-esque type of got kid. Who can't transform. Who can't transform because he has some childhood trauma. Big yikes. Which, if it was like a sky high plot line where like Derek was waiting for him to get his powers and be like super powerful, it would have been interesting, but Mm -hmm. we didn't really get that. Um, And Derek has no job. (laughs) 
<laughs> as far as we could tell, beyond like looking nice and kind of maybe sort of acting as an arson inspector for the sheriff's department, which given his probably life experiences, um, <laughs> why would he do that? Well, it's also just sort of like, why did Derek return to Beacon Hills, the source of all of his trauma? When he had successfully left it. When he had successfully left it, especially if he was trying to, like, raise a kid in, like, an environment that he had, you know, he better also, experiences with. I'm pretty sure the last time we <laughs> saw him or got any, like, legal update on him was, like, an FBI most wanted. Yeah. So, like, oh, wow. I really blacked out 6B. Yeah. Like, um, he shows up for that, you didn't think you were going to do this without us moment yeah but as far as we know at that point he's still a fugitive from the law (laughs) yeah so but he has a son named Eli and none of that's explained and then Eli is like sort of like a goofy styles he's bad at lacrosse type which (laughs) and he knows how to hotwire a car yeah so okay congrats congratulations and then Eli is orphaned for basically no reason yeah. Um, so those are our characters. Also, Peter is there. Oh, oh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> Peter is there. Like, Ian Bowen showed up to sort of look hot and say three dramatic things, which would be fine if any of them were interesting related to the plot or actually able to recognize outside of the whack-ass editing, the convoluted <laughs> plot, the ridiculous screenplay, and horrific CGI. Um. He does commit to the bit, though, I will say. Oh, I will give it to Ian Bowen. He has never not committed to the bit. Man. He's foxy and funny. So People say that about me. Congratulations. <laughs> Anywhoms. So, as we said, we were going to cover what all of our characters were up to. We assume that everybody listening would kind of know that, because I assume if you want to review on the movie, you would know. But also, if you haven't watched it, though, good for you. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. Anywho. So now we're going to sort of as if we haven't already done this. We're 40 minutes in. Now we're going <laughs> to. I know. We knew this was going to be a long one going yeah. in. I think everybody kind of did. And I think that's also what the people, at least from what we've heard on Twitter, have been waiting for. We're giving the people what they want. Let's talk about our major issues with God. the movie. I'm going to start begin? with one. Go ahead. This movie lacks specificity mm. to an embarrassing degree. The fact that we ha- cannot explain most of this plot from a show where, yeah, even when stuff was like pretty ridiculous or there was like plot holes, there was always something that you could relate it back to. Where does the ritual come from? Why has no one ever tried necromancy on the show before? Where, how is Adrian Harris still alive? Why would the Nugetsune make an agreement with him? What has Scott been doing all this time? What happened to Monroe? What happened to the Dread Doctors? All of this stuff. I mean, the Dread Doctors are, like, officially gone. But, like, the fact that this movie jumps in at the tail end of season three and just sort of forgets everything else happened and then doesn't actually fill in those gaps. One, if you have no... I... Okay. If I were... (laughs) If I were writing the Teen Wolf movie and it was going to be a movie and it was going to be about this series and all of these characters... I would have focused on a wholly original plot. Absolutely. Using these characters because I would want somebody who is watching this for the first time who has never seen Teen Wolf 
to be really compelled by the characters alone enough to go back and watch through those seasons, right? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that we talked about when we were discussing the fact that the movie was coming out is how much we've missed these characters and how excited we were to see them as adults because we are now adults. And as characters and not just chess pieces. Um, oh, they're caricatures. Like, they're not real human beings. Um, they're, uh, it is so frustrating to not know what Scott's adult apartment looks like. Yeah, like it is so it is so frustrating to not know anything about the external lives of any of these people or really their internal lives. You know, like mm-hmm. all we know is that Lydia has a high power job and that she misses Allison. Yeah. Does Lydia have like we learn at the end that Lydia left Styles because she was having premonitions of his death. One Styles would never would let never her let leave. Her do it. No. And not in like Styles a way. get your cute little butt up and dance with me. Lydia would never stand for that. Not at all. Not at all. And she also wouldn't be dumb enough to try and pull that. No. Crap. Like, and in fact, if she was having those premonitions, you know who she would do? She would call Scott and she would call Deaton and she would call Arjun and be like, what's happening? What can we do to stop this? Mm-hmm. Even the explanations for things require explanations. It is like tragically like it, it, this movie doesn't even understand itself. No, they set up... Um, things that retcon previous plot points and then don't tell us what the consequences of that is like one you know you just mentioned that we don't know how adrian harris is still alive but we also don't know what the effects of adrian harris coming back to life are he gets sent off to eichenhaus at the end of it which implies that he is alive by a supernatural force because he has to be because he was dead garroted like super super dead why on earth would they bring him back and then not explain what happened to him like what does that do to the nematon what does that do to the supernatural energy in beacon hills why isn't that a focus why doesn't anybody know he's alive yeah and so much of this movie this movie is all tell and no freaking show Mm -hmm. it is like so insane to me that there's about 80% of the dialogue being expository to try to catch people up who haven't seen Teen Wolf. Another reason as to why I would have pursued an original plot line for this. Yeah. Um, And you are being... uh, It it, it weakens your dialogue and it weakens your character so much. And that again, again goes to this lack of specificity. Everything. Like, I wouldn't even... Okay. Like, if I were an actor in this movie... Mm -hmm. I am an actor. I work professionally as an actress... I went to theater school. Given a script like this, anybody in this, any character in this movie, let's say not Scott, since he's got the most dialogue and mm-hmm. is, is the main character, I would not even begin to know how to start doing my script analysis. It would be impossible to figure out my objective, let, my objective scene per scene, let alone my super objective. Yep. It would be so so hard for me to really understand which tactics I would be supposed to, what which tactics I would be trying to pursue in each scene it would be really really difficult to even respond to my fellow actors who are doing the best job they can because the acting is not the problem in this movie super not the problem who are in a similar position of having not enough information to actually achieve what's possible in the scenes as an actor yeah we don't know what anybody wants Yes. Um, beyond bringing Allison back from the grave. We also, and this is a problem that like Teen Wolf as a whole has, but dialed up to 20. We have no sense of time and we have no sense of scale. Like Liam and Hikari are in Japan. 
mm-hmm. and then suddenly are in the U.S.? How, like, how long did it take them to get there? And if they're right. not in Japan, what your weird little ramen shop thing is slightly racist. Slightly more racist. I think it's already a little. A little. Mm. Um, no, we have no sense of like, you know, we, we just have no sense of scale. We There's have no nothing sense of where that people can are ground from. you anywhere. Yeah. yeah. It, it is quicksand. It's quick. Totally, totally quicksand. And there's no breathing room, no. right? Yeah, like there's absolutely nothing to latch onto or to ground you in this plot as she goes boom, 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 boom. And we're used to the 30-second Teen Wolf scenes, but we're used to the 30-second Teen Wolf scenes in a sort of like point A to point B episode, mm-hmm. whereas this is like uh, this scene, this scene, this scene, random, random. It doesn't even feel like there was cohesion. And somebody screenshotted this and sent it to us on Twitter or tagged us in it. That they were still writing the script, you know, in on the set of the movie. And by the way, that's not entirely. It's not unheard of, but you can t- usually tell. totally not unheard of. And sometimes, you know, rewrites are just happening because they're happening. It's, mm-hmm. But that happens so much more in television than it does in film. Mm-hmm. That it's just so clear that this was just thrown together. And if Jeff Davis was just focusing on the Wolfpack series, which apparently is pretty good. We have not started and we will review it. We promise we've got to get through the society first on OSW. But it is so clear that everything was just thrown together. And, like, the dialogue is, like, it's sort of campy. and it's like so stiff. I would say Marvellian in the way that it's really mm-hmm. attempting quips, but can't get at anything interesting. Because, again, we don't have a source for a lot of this mythology. Yeah. There's not a huge background for this lore, other than what you're supposed to already kind of bring over from your knowledge of season three. And there's not a lot of, like in like the exposition that is happening again is to catch up people who may not remember why Jackson is a canima and Jackson telling Chris I have a tail and paralytic venom is ridiculous because Chris knows that about Jackson all Jackson should have to say to Chris is don't forget what I am and flash his eyes oh the use of the eyes in this movie is like pointless it happens so often and for why yeah it's it's not used as it's used as like a period instead of an exclamation point. Absolutely. I Yeah, I think the dialogue is so... It sounds so unnatural. And something that we talked about, like... The swearing. This Oh, God, the swearing it's is so, so gratuitous and so... And it's fine. Okay, one, I think the biggest issue is that they were really leaning into the fact that they could say fuck, which I like the fuck word. It's As really cathartic to say. But the fact that it's the only swear word they used and there wasn't any... Again, another thing that was non-specific. Nobody was pulling out the like, you know, when you're really angry and an insult is going <laughs> so well. We did just watch Fleabag. Fleabag yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've seen it before. Yeah. We're rewatching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, like, you know, when you're like, like, it's funny because even the sort of ways you can make fuck interesting. I mean, have you ever read Marisol? No. One of my favorite plays, if you like magical realism, read Marisol. Uh, At the beginning of Marisol, somebody calls somebody a malignant fuck. That's a a really good one. And the reason why that's good is not because you're calling him a motherfucker or a fucker or a fuck. It's because you've specified it. Mm -hmm. So the fact that everybody is just a fucker or fuck is like really, really boring to me because you're not including other swear words. There was not a lot of damn hell bitch or shit. Mm Mm-hmm. You're just saying fuck because you can, and that's when it becomes gratuitous. And it's not even specified or altered or, you know, shifted in a way that would make it applicable to every situation. 
Yeah. Well, this just goes back to the lack of specificity. Like the show and these characters used to feel so lived in. Like part of the reason that Scott and Styles uh, are the anchor to the show is that they anchor to the show. <laughs> oh of anchors. <laughs> um, no, they just like they have a language mm-hmm. between the two of them that is so lived. This in. has totally lost the language of the show. Yeah, completely. Like, the dialogue. When we talk about the language of the show, we're talking about the dialogue, but we're also talking about the visual language, mm-hmm. and like both of those things are gone, for sure, for sure. And like we're gonna talk more about the technical elements in a bit, but like as far as the visual language concerns, I know it's the big joke to be like Teen Wolf is too dark to see, but they turned up the lights and then didn't make any additional choices in this. And you're like, this looks a shed. I I don't want to see this much. No, nope. don't make me look at that. Nope. Moving on from the conversation on specificity, because I think we're a little bit beating it to death. Um, let's talk about characterization. There is none. There is none. And the stuff that we know about people, we know that Chris is a cool, calm, like steely son of a bitch, right? It has to be something so egregious to rattle that man. And And just having a nightmare of his dead daughter. I don't buy it. Or even seeing visions of her is Chris's response would be to re- do research, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. This guy is an expert in his field, and he is somebody who is so cautious before acting. It's crazy that he just shows up to Scott. Because Scott... Panicked. Panicked, right? Panicked. Yeah. Like, it, he... But the thing is, like, he doesn't even have... He has that solution to offer of, like, the sword, but he seems to be looking for, like, validation or more information. Chris would have come prepared. Yeah. He would have had a binder. Yeah. Like... And he just comes. He would have a whiteboard. Yeah. That dude is practically house. He, he is practically house. And he shows up like unshaven, unwashed, like trying to, you know, get something out of Scott. And I, again, I was like watching J.R. Bourne, who I think is really compelling to watch mm-hmm. in the show. And I was like, it. he's doing such a good job of saying shit that Chris wouldn't believe. Yeah, Totally. You know, totally. It it was so embarrassing, and Chris is not even the only one. What? What? Why on earth would Lydia stop after Lydia goes through the entirety of her time in Iken House with the hallucinations of Meredith, learning how to hone her power, learning how to weaponize it, learning how to make it a, a piece of her that actually works in her favor as opposed to something that cripples her? Mm-hmm. Why the fuck would she give up on that? I don't understand. Like, yes, Lydia is a genius, and so we expected her to end up in. Where she is. Where she is. Right. But like, first but of all. But that's so surface level. What's her job? I don't know what it is. I don't harnessing, know what it is. Ha- harnessing like auditory energy. Everything she says sounds Sound like energy. bullshit. Yeah. Um, but like, why doesn't Lydia have a secret room in her office? A side hustle I want- of being a banshee. Because you can't turn that off. We That is a piece of like lore and information about banshees that the original team Wolf series gave us that banshees are incapable of turning off their power once it starts surfacing because that is what killed her grandmother and it's what what killed drove meredith. Drove, drove meredith crazy. absolutely yeah and the fact that lydia is able to figure it out and learn how to to make it work for her it it, it should be almost like you know when you're really mentally ill like you and me <laughs> retweet (laughs) i said you and me yeah you know it's sometimes i think about i i certainly Mm -hmm. do not consider my depression a superpower no but it is something that i live daily with and have been able to get a high power job and girl boss also with like lydia should be able to go to work 
be a girl boss, have a social life, be cool, and then come home and scream in her soundproof room. Yes, because you don't learn to stifle it. You learn how to live with and work around it. Yes. That's how that works. Yes. And I'm looking like, like, I think Scott is like fairly in character, except for the fact that they gave him a 16 year old emotional frame, even though he is uh, the child of a very emotionally competent mother who has often encouraged him to speak about his emotions, has a huge support system, including Deaton, who is with him through his adult life, who Mm -hmm. is very emotionally aware uh you know you look at scott and you're like yeah he loves his friends he would probably work with animals and then you zoom out and you're like and for some reason he hasn't progressed past being in love with allison which is insane because we did see that growth from season four to six so yeah i you know it's so interesting there's um a plot line in jane the virgin where um michael her husband is shot and killed or so we think. And he comes back. I don't think there's a telenovela. whole season. <laughs> no, it's very it's very telenovela. He um he comes back and I don't even I don't know if it's been like a whole season. Maybe it has. But like, you know, Jane has worked so hard to move past and there's a time jump as well. Like Jane has worked so hard to to like live with the grief of her husband's murder. I mean like sort of. Mm-hmm. Um he does have a heart attack based on like a, a previous you know, injury. And Jane works so, so hard at that. And that is like such an incredible, um, emotional moment when Michael comes back and she has to decide like, is this still my husband or do I continue pursuing like the romantic relationship that I'm currently in? And that is like such an interesting emotional arc for her to take. And, and the whole Allison coming back thing. Why? Have you seen brothers? No. Okay. Brothers is a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and Tobey Maguire, and Tobey Maguire is incredible in it, and Natalie Portman. But it's do based, they play brothers? They do. It's Good based casting. on it, it. Yeah, actually, it's based on a Polish play called War, mm-hmm. and it's about a brother who goes and the movie Brothers. It's different, obviously, in the in the original version of the play, but in the movie, like the they they think that Tobey Maguire's character has uh was killed in Iraq. Mm-hmm. or maybe Afghanistan. I would have to check when the movie came out because I kind of forget. <laughs> um and. He it was just a POW and he comes back and his brother has formed this relationship with his wife, Natalie Portman. And it's about one, him experiencing this insane jealousy, but her who has already gone through the grieving process and started to form what is a quasi romantic relationship with the other person trying to figure out who this person is to them. Mm -hmm. And that is so much more compelling than I've been waiting for you, which he hasn't. And we know he hasn't. We know he hasn't. hasn't. It would be so much more interesting to me if he was still with Malia and Allison came back and he had to try to figure out emotionally what he was supposed to do with that. Also, 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 Allison's 17. She is 17. Allison is 17. I don't understand why this is um, on the table literally at all. I don't understand why it's on the table at all. I think it would make perfect sense for Scott to be like, you know what, Allison, I really loved you. And maybe somewhere in my heart of hearts, I thought we were going to end up together. That's clearly not what happened. But we can't be together now. Yes. He has, like... Making Scott, having been in love with Allison from the beginning, takes away any agency Scott has as a person. Like, and also just like, turns Allison into an object yeah. of the main character's affection. Which, because, again, if... And we had these com- these same complaints about Malia. 
I would rather focus on her development as she relearns how to exist in this universe. Not on her relationship to the main character. And also, you know what's really interesting is even though they finally introduced the concept of grief into Teen Wolf, something that we have been utterly critical about since day one because Teen Wolf just doesn't bury their dead, we still... Allison gets brought back from the dead and we still have absolutely no concept of the afterlife. Zero specificity. (laughs) Zero specificity. And not only that, Allison comes back from the dead, but then Derek dies. Dies. He dies. He dies. Um, dies. (laughs) Moving away from characterization, because I think it's pretty clear that nobody's acting. Where is Liam's anger? Where is Liam's anger? Why don't Liam and Mason talk, talk. to each other? That made me so mad. Because what? especially, especially if you are losing out on being able to capitalize on the Scott and Styles relationship, because it is about the Scott and Styles of it all, as we have once said, why would you not try to not fill that gap, but supplement it because a little bit? Dylan Sprayberry and Kylan Rainbow have incredible chemistry. Such good chemistry. They're so, so cute together. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it, it is not a replacement for Scott and Styles, but it is certainly something that people would have gotten emotional fulfillment out mm-hmm. of seeing them together. Yeah. Also, Corey is gone, and I didn't expect him to be in this movie because he wasn't a major part. Mm-hmm. But not only does Mason not get to have a relationship with Liam, his literal best friend, he doesn't have any relationships with anyone other than being co-workers with Parrish. Yeah. I mean, even, like, Jackson, Ethan gets a name drop. Yeet. But we don't see him and we don't know anything about their life in London together. Yeah. But it's really weird to me that the ro- they're for Teen Wolf, shockingly unromantic. Because the yeah, only weird. romantic fulfillment is Scott and Allison, which is weird for the reasons we just said. Uh-huh. Ooh. And yeah. in, in terms of sexuality, I don't want it. Nope. Yeah. I don't want it. Uh, in-universe inconsistencies was my next note. Oh, my God. So, Adrian Harris is dead. Super dead. What part of California is Beacon Hills in? I know we joked that it changes from NorCal to SoCal in season three, but now it's, like, officially in SoCal, but where is it? I don't know. Because they, he, because, because, the funny thing is, is Arjun is like, oh, I'll be in Beacon Hills by midday tomorrow, that's like talking if you're driving up to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. That's not like because they're in L.A. I assume they're in L.A. Yeah. If it's in SoCal, it's it's probably not that far. No, but it should be in NorCal because that's where the that's where it starts. That's the whole thing. Like also, that's no where wolves. the woods are. That's where the woods are. That's where there are no wolves, and that's why it's weird that there are wolves in Beacon Hills. Like, uh, come on. Yeah. No, but this this goes back to the, the lack of the sense of scale. Like, I have no idea. We still have no idea how big Beacon Hills is, but now we don't even know how far away it is from major metropolitan centers. California is, and somebody correct me if I'm wrong, California is the third biggest state in this country. It's fucking huge. It is bigger than most other countries. <laughs> you gotta clear things up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long does it take Scott to drive home? Is that why he doesn't come visit his mom? Because it's a seven hour drive? Because I assume, yeah, because if it was in San Francisco, it would be, or in the Bay Area, it mm-hmm. would be a seven hour drive. And for the record, you and I do not live in California and, and we know don't. this. <laughs> I mean, I have like, we, we both we have, have family, family there. there. Yeah, yeah. So we might know, but like, no, um, there's not a single American who's like, yeah, California is really small. And if you were like, 
also like again like the geographic locations because southern california and northern california look look very different if you want big pine trees you're in norcal and if you want the desert because la is in a desert (laughs) you're in socal well i (laughs) truly the teen wolf movie could be summed up as wanting to have your cake and eat it too legitimately so but like and like but it's funny that we're focusing on beacon hills because it's just a small part of the in-universe inconsistencies Mm -hmm. but don't give me a time frame for how far it takes to drive somewhere if you don't want to give me a location on where we are in the most in the state with the most recognizable cities in the country that's not New York. Yeah. Like I it, no it it or just Illinois. Make, <laughs> we do live in Chicago. We do live in Chicago. Um no, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. No, and again, Adrian Harris is dead. We saw him die, and if you are saying that he didn't die, what completed the Jirox ritual? To reawaken the Nematon. To reawaken the Nematon. If you have given me canon and you are reneging on it, you need to give me an ex- explanation for why he's alive. Did the Nogitsune wake him up to wake the Nogitsune back up? Because that would be interesting. That would be That would be great to pursue if he was being like haunted by thoughts in the Nogitsune to be like, I'll make you a deal. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, I'll make you a deal. But no, he's alive. And that actor is compelling and interesting. I didn't know his name is because he is such a small part of the show, but it is so weird to forego a bunch of the canon you created to bring back a villain that most people do not fucking remember. He not only is brought back from the dead, but he travels to Japan. I'm sure he doesn't have a valid passport. But again, are they in Japan or are they just being racist? The Wikipedia synopsis does say that they are in Japan. Okay, good to know. So I'm operating off of that being the truth. Again, does Mr. Harris have a valid passport? I'm about to ask you a question, and I know (laughs) the answer is yes. Did they introduce, like, Hikari's character just so that they wouldn't get canceled for reintroducing Japanese mythology. Hundo percent. Yep. No, and also I remember when that casting notice came out because it wasn't, it was Amy Workman and the gentleman who plays the deputy who gets uh, murdered by the Nugitsune because he takes the the Kitsune's tales. Um, and that article in Variety made it seem like they were going to be main characters. Yep. And Hikari has maybe two or three lines of dialogue. Um yeah, well, also, bro, if I were Arden Cho, if I were Arden Cho and Dylan O'Brien, I would be laughing. Oh, and I'm not and not out of maliciousness because, of course, they don't want their friends to be doing poorly. But if this is the script I was presented with when I was being asked to return, I would not say yes. Well, I would have said fuck no. Especially, again, with Hikari, if I were Arden Cho and it felt like it was literally and if she was genuinely being offered only SAG men to return to this project, how fucking tokenized would you feel? Oh, it was that it is so embarrassing racist offensive mm-hmm. just awful i also to go back to in-universe inconsistencies i can't understand why liam has the nogitsune yeah who would give that to him because liam was not in season three no and actually that was in my questions is who at what point was liam caught up on season three mythology you know and why is he the person who is entrusted with keeping that safe why on earth would it not be chris Deaton or Deaton Derek Deaton makes the most sense yeah I don't understand it at all why did they not just bury that in the woods somewhere yeah make it impossible for anybody to find throw it off a ship to the depths of the over the Marianas Trench like <laughs> put it in it's the absurd that ocean. he's just keeping it in the restaurant he works at also also if Parrish Even- 
if yeah. Hellfire can kill a new Gitsune, why not bring him back and then just have Parrish hug him to death before he can do anything? Also, is the new Gits- does the new Gitsune have corporeal form? Apparently, the I mean, I guess so. I guess the corporeal form is the mummy. But even that doesn't make sense to me because the only reason he was occupying the form of the mummy is because that's the form he was in before it was Styles. Mm-hmm. And if this movie, if, you know, Dylan O'Brien came back, I guess they would have used him to do that. But it, for what we understand, the Nugitsune Returns is the last form it was in because mm-hmm. that's what we understand of season three. Right. But I think this movie is banking on people not understanding anything. Too bad I am in this business. I'm in the business of Teen Wolf. (laughs) Too bad we watched every episode multiple times and talked about it. Yeah. And so has, like, everybody who's listened to this podcast has listened to, like, a recap and an analysis of every single episode. Yeah. Teen Wolf fans are smart and interested in the world that you created, and it is so disappointing that you don't seem to give a shit. Exactly. And we know that because of this podcast. Like, everyone who's listening and commenting and emailing us and posting in the Facebook group and talking to us on Twitter is so, so much smarter, so much smarter than this movie gives them credit for, and that is insulting and embarrassing. For real. Moving on to other God. things we didn't like, because it's an, we, we can't just list every single thing. Um, we sure could try. But let's talk about box checking, pandering, and fan service. Okay. The fact that, so, uh, before we even move into Sterek, the mm-hmm. fact that so many scenes in this movie are scene-for-scene recreations of things that people liked in the original canon is like... You know how new kids on the block go on tour every (laughs) once in a while when they need money? Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, respect to new kids on the block. Actually, more respect to new kids on the block than to the Teen Wolf movie. That, I mean, exactly. Um, No, there is a moment where um, Allison burns the Wolfsbane out of Scott with a road flare. And I'm just sitting here being like, we know Motel California was good. Yeah, we know. I, I was we there. Know it. Yeah. I saw it many times. I, w- I watched it live on MTV when I was in high school. You know, and there are there I think is one interesting use of these flashbacks, and that is at the beginning of this movie. The flashbacks the or the recreations because they're different. Oh well, I mean the flashbacks. Okay, but the recreations are just like g- gratuitous, so gratuitous and so boring. And again, insulting to me. I was there. I remember. Thank you. I saw it. Moving on. No, it's just, um, it's, it's as if they sat down, they did a, like a binge of the best episodes of Teen Wolf, the most watched, the most well critically reviewed. And they were like, how can we take the little bits from those episodes and put them in this movie in a way that makes people go, oh yeah, Teen Wolf was so good. Uh, It's funny because you're actually not even thinking about... The people who would be most excited to watch this movie because all of them have those memories fresh, fresh, you know, mm-hmm. you're don't why are it. I, I have talked to nauseam about how much I super disliked Avengers Endgame and the biggest reason I hated it mm-hmm. is not just the Marvel industrial complex and how much I hate Disney is how self-congratulatory it was. And every single one of those moments was Teen Wolf patting itself on the back. It, this movie is so self-congratulatory. Yeah. It's like, look at what a good job we did. Okay. Okay. And? Yeah. Yeah. This I was is there. A new movie. I remember you need to continue doing a good job, not just telling me how good of a job you did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
box checking, yeah, fan service. Uh, there was some, I, I, you know, I get wanting to make Scalus an endgame. We have talked on this podcast many times how much we love Scalus in. Yeah. Yeah. We're fans. But you did not set me up to want it to happen in this movie for the same reason I thought it was weird that Styles and Malia got together. And it's so weird that that is like a repeat offense, right? Yeah. You have to be aware that that made people uncomfortable and why it made people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because Crystal Reed looks her age, and very good, by the way, I would say. Crystal Reed, you're so pretty and so talented. So pretty and beautiful You and were wonderful. smart for leaving Teen Wolf when you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, indeed. Um yeah, it just feels weird that they were like, oh, play the greatest hits. However, some of the greatest hits people didn't really like. Or do you have an example? The, the Scott Malia thing. And maybe I'm just making that up. You mean Styles Malia? Yeah. No, 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 no. That I don't even feel like was a greatest hit. I actually feel like that was an unintentional parallel. Possibly. Um, but I think it was really like, of course, I, of course I would want Scott and Allison to get, to get, get back together, but only if Allison and Scott were a meeting as adults on, on even ground. Oh, because there's a power dynamic that uh, makes imbalance. me uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, of course, if Allison comes back into a world that is totally different from the world she left and she's 17, she's going to have to depend on people, but it shouldn't be depending on a romantic relationship with a 30 year old. Mm hmm. It's gross. Demi Lovato actually just wrote a song about this. <laughs> and it's really good. It's really good. So. But again, yeah. like, I, if, if, if Allison was around, she obviously remembers, you know, she remembers up until her death. Mm-hmm. But if Allison comes back, it should be like a group effort to support her assimilation. That is the movie I would have wanted to watch. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want, I want to know what all of these people are doing as adults yes and that can include supernatural shenanigans totally but be but the fact that like it is just trying to recreate the glory days of these kids when they were in high school and completely ignoring all of the maturation that they have gone through in the past 15 years Mm -hmm. that is not a five-year gap where you're like these people are maybe mostly the same even though their cells have regenerated or whatever yeah um this is 15 years. Scott might have a mortgage. Yeah. Like, I, I just want to see them do fucking laundry, man. I want to see Scott cook a meal. Yeah. Hold on. Can I talk about Follow Boy really quickly yeah. for a second? Just because it's Can on the... Can you talk about Follow Boy for... Yeah, It's obviously. my podcast. I'm allowed to do what I want. And we saw them. Yeah. They were so close. Sorry. We're a little <laughs> hyper fixated and angry with Teen Wolf, but happy with other things. So um, I was thinking about... This interview that I read recently with mm-hmm. Patrick Stump talking about their new album, about how it's not a nostalgia album. He does not feel like a nostalgic person. He does not look back on the mutton chops and think, I want that again. That's it. Said, well, Patrick, I, I want you to have the mutton chops again. Same. Doesn't matter. And he was like, it was really interesting getting the lyrics from this album from Pete. If you don't know anything about Paul he Boy, writes Pete the writes the lyrics. <laughs> and seeing that we had that he was experiencing a bitterness that was not a young person's, and I'm this is not a quote, this is paraphrasing, that was not a young person's sadness, but an old person's bitterness mm-hmm. about looking around at the world and being an adult and being so frustrated that your like childlike wonder was gone. And the fact that this movie relies on young person's sadness as opposed to learned bitterness is embarrassing why have none of these characters matured 
to their most intelligent potential selves. It is also super weird because it's not as though the original Teen Wolf does not kind of touch on that. Scott expresses a sort of frustration with the fact that he has to be the true alpha and that this stuff keeps falling in his lap. And if he feels that frustration as a 17-year-old, how does he feel as a 30-year-old who probably is still being involved in these kinds of supernatural, like, and how does and how horror. does the experience of time weigh on you? And do you mm-hmm. approach it? Do you still feel motivated to even want to do anything? Or is it making you a recluse? Which is something I would love answered because this movie is about random assorted plot points instead of about its characters and Teen Wolf the show is about its characters and that's what compelled you to watch it absolutely and on our final note on fan service pandering and like replication of scenes the fucking jeep is that not where you were going because no it's it's exactly where I was going it's exactly where I was going because the fact that the only place that we Scott doesn't mention Styles at all. Not once. He gets a mention from uh, the sheriff at the beginning that he's like busy doing FBI stuff. Which, oh God, propaganda, bro. This movie is riddled with it and y'all know how we feel about that. ACAB. ACAB. Um, Especially right now, again. Right fucking now. All cops are bastards. All cops are bastards. And um, if you disagree, write us an email. We'll set you straight. (laughs) We will ignore it. I'll delete it immediately. (laughs) Um, We'll send you some reading materials. Anyway, um, no, the Jeep thing is fucking ridiculous. Um, It gets a mention sort of at the end um, that is like steric adjacent yeah, so the sheriff mentions that Styles is too busy to come back and help. That's absurd. If the Nogitsune was back, you know, who has vested interest in trying to destroy him? Probably the dude who was possessed by him last. Also, if Lydia had left him and he hadn't managed to convince her otherwise, he would be in Beacon Hills trying to get Lydia back. Because they're soulmates. They are. And you can't look me in the eye and tell me they're not. And and for the record, like, I know that there are still very vehement steric shippers, even though I do not agree with you or know where you're pulling that from. Mm-mm. Because we just have very different. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to yuck your yum. You know what I'm saying? But I don't get it. The f- no, but no, but I don't get it is beyond the point. The fact that like the only time we're even hearing mention of this character is from Derek with some weird ass metaphor about how he always had really complicated feelings about the truck, which is just supposed to be the Styles proxy, mm-hmm. is banana pants. It's not rooted in any kind of like character motivation we understand from Derek and is solely just to sort of get people to write fan fiction about. And it's interesting. One of our listeners um, posted their Tumblr review mm-hmm. in our Facebook page and they mentioned it as an EO AT moment, which for clarification <laughs> is a reference to the fact that in the Spanish dub of the third to last episode of Supernatural, Cass reciprocates. Or Dean Dean reciprocates reciprocates Cass's love confession. And if you're a steric shipper, maybe it felt like that. But for me, it felt like a shoehorned sort of last ditch effort to get those people back on your side. Because at least in Supernatural, Mm -hmm. from what I understand of the canon, like I as somebody who stopped watching in season eight, and while I do really like those first couple of seasons, really 
only have a very broad view of what was happening up at the end. Mm -hmm. At least I know that, yeah, it is appropriate that the response to Cass saying I love you is that Dean would say I love you too because they are characters who have been bound at the hip since their introduction, whereas Derek left... And he and Styles barely speak to each other when it, season it, three onwards. Yes, they are coworkers at best, and that's insulting to the people who do actually see that there was like do actually see a relationship there to sort of just shoehorn that in. And it's also banana pants to the people who don't, who are like, no, the people who care about Styles are not the people who are being asked about him. We get that like little bit from Lydia about why she left, which didn't make any sense, and we don't hear anything from Scott. Or Liam, who was also friends with Styles, or Allison, who does not know why Styles isn't there. Oh, oh my God, that did not even occur to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think that it is disrespectful to Derek as a character, particularly because that scene with the sheriff and Eli comes at Derek's fucking funeral. Like, there is nothing about Derek that you wanted to tell his son that doesn't have to do with the Jeep that your son owned. Like, there are so many things that you could tell this kid about, like, how his dad saved Beacon Hills or, like, just... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, did you know that, like, Derek wasn't the one who bit Scott, but he was the one who took care of him? Do you know that Derek was the one who did this? Do you know that Derek was the one who did this? Do you know that Derek... Loved you, but yeah. Do you know he that was a really he, good dad? Do you know that your dad loved you? No, he had complicated feelings about a car. Yeah, it, it is like it is so it is so pandery. It is so disrespectful. Like to not to me specifically, but to viewers who care about these characters. I th- you know I think even if you are hysteric, you really care about both Styles and Derek. And reducing either of their characters to the to their ship sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And it is disingenuous and all kinds of icky. Yeah. I would I would say icky. Uh, yeah, I get I mean like being pandered to in any regard is tasteless. Yeah. And it's unfortunate because I think you're right, it really reduces Derek as a character. And but again, like Styles and not Styles, Scott and Allison are being reduced as characters to their ship, and we are we are generally pro like ship what ship what Teen Wolf wants you to ship. But if that's the only thing you can pull out of this, mm-hmm. that's embarrassing because I'd rather nobody be in love and somebody be doing laundry. Always, yeah, always, yeah, and <laughs> also. I cannot believe I just had to defend Supernatural. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you can't believe you had to defend no. Derek. But they were like, oh, Derek went to Super Hell. And I was, uh, uh, Amanda said this. Um, they were like, Derek went to Super Hell. And I was like, is that what happened when he burned up in the Hellfire? Because he was in the Nogetsune realm? Does Teen Wolf literally have a Super Hell? No, because they never have no. ever, ever talked to us about the afterlife. Where is Derek? Do werewolves have their own beliefs? Because you know okay. what would be so much more comforting to Eli than Derek has feelings about a car? Would be like, by the way, it is, you know, it, it, in at least the hail pack, this is how werewolves approach death. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, that would be such an interesting piece of lore for the show, but they don't really care. Um, it also is like so infuriating to me that when the Nogitsune pulls all of them into this spirit realm, like their bodies are there, which doesn't make any sense to me. Like there are no ground rules. Mm-hmm. Like if you die in the game, you die in real life. Is that what I'm given to understand? Yeah, I guess so. I guess, but there's just no... I don't understand the stakes. I don't understand the rules of the game and not in a fun way where I'm like trying to figure out what the rules of the game are because the Nogitsune clearly knows them. The Nogitsune doesn't know jack shit. Also, they kept on being like, the game. And I was like, I mean, I guess I just lost, but what the fuck is the game? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) They kept on being like, his game. What is his game? There was no actual, there was like literally they were expecting us not to have further questions and that is so condescending to me who always has questions. I'm curious. I constantly. <laughs> constantly. I have yeah, and like, why would you do anything for this guy who set you free? You're a trickster spirit. Why oh, would you do anything for him? Totally. The the fact that, that, that Harris wasn't killed the second that Nogitsune was free was... was Bananas. Ridiculous. The Nogitsune has been worse for less. Oh, oh yeah. For a slice of pizza. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I no, and like I literally I really cannot get over the Mr. Harris thing. I know that's not what we're talking about, but like I cannot get over the fact that he is the instigator of all of this crap. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Because even though I kind of like Harris as a character in those mm-hmm. first couple of seasons, this movie neglects the fact that we had another half of the entire show to go. Legit, why death. did you kill Ducalion? Oh my god. Why'd you kill Ducalion? God, if Ducalion were in this movie. Even if you like, even as a, like as a villain or not as a villain, this movie would be so much more compelling if it was just about Ducalion. <laughs> I miss Gideon Emery so much. Well, no, it's just sort of like. Also, Ducalion's just an interesting character. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You sort of and like it's not that Harris was an interesting character when the lore was as small as the Duroc, but as it progressed, he's so small comparatively. Well, yes, because that is like the whole thing about the Duroc plotline is that it brings you to all of these like insane supernatural entities that would not have entered your town otherwise without Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand. So like Harris in the scope of season four means nothing. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And I always liked that actor and I thought that Harris was like the perfect type of creepy teacher. Because he's like a very banal sort of evil. Yeah, and he's like, you know, he's the guy who, and it's so fucking funny when Lydia's like, somebody who knows chemistry. And we know that Harris is the one who gave Kate the tools to set the hail fire. Mm -hmm. But, bro, it's 2023. Anybody with Google can build a bomb. (laughs) Sometimes you build a bomb without even meaning to. People make mustard gas in their house all the time. Okay, general PSA. (laughs) You cannot mix ammonia and bleach. Check your cleaning products. Yeah, like if you're going to check if you could take two drugs together, you should maybe check if you can use two cleaning products together. For sure. You have a computer in your pocket. Yeah. Go for it. So again, someone who knows chemistry. Okay. Bro, uh, Beacon Hills is, depending on where it is in California, surrounded by many very powerful universities. (laughs) Someone there knows how to build a bomb. Someone there knows chemistry. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be your high school chemistry teacher. <laughs> Who, by the way, um, we don't know when Harris was brought back to life, so it's possible he's been dead for 15 fucking years. Yeah. Unless it, he remember anything. True. Or like again, did he die? He was should have died if that's how the Duroc thing worked. But also it's really funny that they're like somebody who knows chemistry and bring back 
Harris as opposed to the actual villain that we meet in season four called the chemist. Legit. <laughs> you guys, like, it's Do you like, think I'm not paying attention? No, I swear to God, there was like a dartboard in this writer's room and they were like, ah, uh, yes. yes. The person with the worst aim can decide the plot line for this movie. <laughs> I love it. There was no storyboarding, clearly. Okay, so those were our main sort of like plot issues. Let's talk about technical problems. Oh my God. The <laughs> editing in this movie is absolutely wackadoodle. There is no, emo- there's like no motion tracking. It's like literally so hard to follow the fight scenes. It is the fucking filmic equivalent of sensory overload. <laughs> I swear to God, I was sitting there being like, am I having a stroke? Yeah. Like, all of the, you know, and we talk about 30-minute Teen Wolf scenes or whatever, but it felt like so much of this was being cut for commercial. This Which is, is a movie. This is a, not only is it a movie, it's on streaming. <laughs> and it is two hours long. It's, it's so How long. were the scenes that short and the movie that long? It was, the pacing was out of whack. The pacing was horrific. I... Everything moved way too fast and then at a glacial pace for the last hour. Yeah. I Which is so funny because I would have loved a little bit of like character moments in that glacial pace. Oh no, but that's not what this movie is about. This no. movie is about look at how big of a budget Paramount gave us. Only um, to have the most embarrassing CGI I've ever seen. Oh yeah, let's talk about the CGI. The, guys, it took us three hours and like 20 minutes to watch this movie and not just because of our family emergency oh yeah it was <laughs> no we just kept pausing because when we hit the moment where like allison is trying to kill scott on this simba rock yeah the rock that <laughs> overlooks beacon hills which we are familiar with but the, yeah okay you know it's like a big joke that the lighting in teen wolf is too dark to see anything i, I want to see it i don't want to see it it was so poorly rendered it was so poorly rendered and looked so absurdly styrofoamy green screeny bad you couldn't find a rock like an actual rock you didn't cover it in real dirt like we i we literally it showed up i paused it i think we laughed uninterrupted (laughs) for maybe like seven minutes it was just so So bad. bad the rendering all of the cgi rendering is so bad and it's really unfortunate that they, you know, did this whole, like, that they put, that they put this lacrosse game in this big field with 10,000 people. because In the daytime. In the daytime. Because it didn't actually feel like anything to me. Because the reason why so much of the, like, Teen Wolf works is because it feels very real to a small amount of people. It feels, if it feels very fake to a large amount of people, I'm just watching a garbage, like, superhero movie. Oh, I also think we spent much of the series complaining about needing a wide shot. Too many wide shots. I don't necessarily know if I agree if that's true. I mostly was because I really like being able to see everything. But we had a lot of weird like tracking shots and some droney mm-hmm. shots. And all of that felt. And, and the problem with that is it exposed too many of the gaps. Yeah. Which this is kind of what I don't understand. It's not like we are. It's not like this movie is taking place in an unknown locale. We know what Beacon Hills is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. We have generally. generally, but we have this familiarity with the high school. And I actually thought that the scenes in the high school looked great because they were dark. And also it was a familiar set, but like everything just looks so out of place. It's so bright. Nothing about it feels familiar. There's no visual language in the show. Like it was dark, but it also was like blue. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, the lighting was horrific. Yeah. They turned the lights up, which, you know, again, if everybody's making fun of your show for being unable to see it and you, you your response would be to turn the lights up. No, my response would be, I want to see in the dark. I want you to figure out how to light those scenes that create that eerie environment that have that color palette that we were all so drawn to being able to light all of your characters really well. I like just turning up the lights and creating what looked like a fucking car commercial. It did look like a car commercial. And it's like, it's really frustrating because I know that Russell Mulcahy's talent is so much farther extended than this movie details. I agree. Yeah. Cause we've seen Teen Wolf. That's the problem. Anybody who has actually seen Teen Wolf is like, this looks like shit. Yeah. Literally cut your budget in half and work harder. Work harder. I want practical effects. Yeah. Not to bring this back to Supernatural, but whatever. (laughs) The first couple seasons. The first couple seasons have literally no budget and they have to work really hard to sort of create environments that feel scary and feel tight and feel dark purposefully with like things highlighted with your lights really intentionally. And part of that has to do with a lot of the first couple seasons were directed by Kim Manners. A lot of the first couple seasons were directed by Kim Kim Manners who did a lot of the X-Files. So like the practice was there, Mm -hmm. but who's had more practice than Russell Mulcahy? For real. Um, No, it's just similarly to how 6A succeeds in Styles' absence by highlighting that absence, you can highlight dread through absence. Mm -hmm. You can highlight, you know, any other sort of um, like horror movie thing that you want to highlight in this Mm -hmm. movie through absence, through suspense. And there's just none of that. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously, I think the best example of sort of suspense through absence is the Blair Witch Project Mm -hmm. a movie filmed on like 300 bucks a shoestring yeah create an an environment and a visual language that achieves that sense of dread without depending on the CGI and you know like some of the makeup I was like some of the makeup I was like wow the makeup looks a lot better but it looks a little too polished absolutely because it was meant to be seen in the light instead of the dark it's too slick yeah too slick it look yeah, and it's like funny to be like, oh, this looked too clean. But why does why would horror, why would horror outside of like American Psycho look clean? Mm-hmm. Lydia is the only person who should be super clean. Her costume was my favorite. Her outfit, her little green jumpsuit situation. Yeah, her like bodysuit and the blazer. Yeah. yeah, it was not a jumpsuit. You're right. Yeah, I I just think it's like it's graceless. There is nothing visually interesting about this movie. Um, it is overscored to hell beyond belief there's so many really loud and obtrusive music cues and it's funny because we've often commented on how much we like the music in the original series Mm -hmm. because you have sort of you know the mtv influence a lot of people were debuting songs on teen wolf the the soundtrack forgettable and the score so overwhelming distracting it was constantly trying to tell me how i was supposed to feel about this and it was like uh i should as somebody who's watched a lot of theater, and I don't mean musical theater, I mean straight plays, you should be able to capture those emotions with your dialogue. I shouldn't need any freaking music. The music should be, at best, upholding what you're achieving through your dialogue. I think it kind of, it undercuts the work that the actors are trying to do. Totally. Because the act, absolutely none of my issue with this movie was with the acting, except for the parts when I would watch somebody say something that was so absurd because it was in the script that they had a hard time even figuring out how to say it because that is an incredible feat. And it was so obvious. And it was so obvious that it just wasn't their freaking fault. Yeah. 
Because we are we are often very complimentary of the acting in the series. There are moments in actors who I don't, you know, particularly latch onto or like, and acting is as subjective as any art, you know? Mm-hmm. I have a friend whose favorite actress is Shailene Woodley, and I have never been able to get that train. Yeah. But, she, but my friend who really likes Shailene Woodley is also one of my favorite actor friends who I know. So I'm like... There's merit to that? There, I can't not trust her opinion because I know how, how much power she brings to the screen. Mm-hmm. None of the issues with the acting are on the actors. Nope. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And I think that the, I think the point of the score or or the attempt here is to support the actors, but it actually cuts them down. Totally. Uh, My final thought on the technical elements is just how embarrassing the CGI is. Oh, it is terrible. It looks terrible. It looks terrible. And like, we have come leaps and bounds. You have this huge budget. There is no reason it should look as bad as it does. Um, I laughed far too much for uh, on reasons that were not intended. Yeah. Oh, also, this movie wasn't funny. And Teen and Wolf is funny. All. And I know you didn't have Dylan O'Brien at your disposal, but you know who was always funny? Dylan Sprayberry. He is funny and he barely gets to talk. Kylan Rambo, so funny. And together. together Unstoppable. So cute. So funny. Uh, Ian Bowen funny oh and he he is trying so hard yeah the only person who I had like a genuine laugh at was Colton Haynes and like Jackson who is dumb in the series was made unfathomably dumb in the movie something that really pissed me off is that like part of the joy of the original series of Teen Wolf is that all of the characters are being played to their highest intelligence Mm -hmm. it's just that some of those characters highest intelligence is really low whereas everybody in this movie was being played to their lowest intelligence and I didn't even laugh at Orny Adams like I think he had one bit where I was like oh because he's charming and fun but I was like you're wasting somebody who has been able to make people like roll on the floor laugh at well ugh. I mean it's because none of these characters are actually getting to be real people they are just a vehicle for nostalgia yes shall we move into questions and observations let's do it do you have anything else you want to bring up in our points of issue I mean yeah but no you know <laughs> you're tired <laughs> yeah yeah okay so what are your mm-hmm. questions Okay, so at a certain point in this movie, we find out that the areas that are being burned by the serial arsonist have a special kind of tree in them, rowan trees, Mm -hmm. which turn into mountain ash. Yeah. Why are all of the supernatural creatures able to walk around those burn sites? I'll do you one better. Why is Lydia, who has always been able to cross Mountain Ash, not able to break the seal? I don't know. What is so special about this Mountain Ash? Like, is it like, is it like holy water and you need a priest to baptize it? You need like an emissary to baptize the Mountain Ash? I I don't, I don't know. I literally don't I know. I don't know. But I don't think so because, um, I don't. Also, if we've learned anything from Teen Wolf, you can make Mountain Ash. You don't need that much because Styles just makes it work with a miracle. Mm-hmm. That one time in season two. 
Uh, yes, I think about that. I thought about that when they were making the, the circle in this movie. He had to burn down like so much of the forest for that much mountain ash, but Styles did that much mountain ash with like a baggie, like a ziplock. Also, also, the trees are still there. Like he's not cutting them down or like taking the ash when he's done with them. Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't you just yeah. cut the trees down and burn them? And burn them. Because it's got to be somebody who knows chemistry. Oh my god! Like I, I on the ranking of like top worst lines in the movie, that one is just really to, up there. I'm so sorry you had to say that, Holland Roden. I'm so sorry. It's so egregious. I'm pretty sure when Chris is revealed as the um, Nagitsune's vehicle, he's like, "Oh, it's darkness, darkness, motherfucker." <laughs> that was so bad. Also, and I'm sorry, J.R. Bourne, that you had to say that. Ugh. It's like so redonkulous that I was like, oh, let Styles say fuck. And they just let everyone say fuck every three lines. That's and then not you're like, what I, meant. I didn't mean that. Yeah. I didn't want it, nope. actually. No. Restrained, please. Yeah. Um, Isn't the Nugitsune supposed to be unkillable? <laughs> I guess, yeah. I, they say some shit guess. about him being around for the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. So why would Hellfire do that? And if it does, then you need to start a way bigger conversation on lore about hellhounds. Yeah, because we don't really learn that much about them, even when we find out what Parrish is. And if Parrish was going to be the person to kill Inogatine, he needed to be the person the movie was about. Indeed. And I say that on behalf of a close personal friend of the podcast, Ryan, Ryan Kelly. Kelly. Uh, yeah, make the movie about Ryan <laughs> Kelly. My last question. Um, when they, Liam and Hikari, mm-hmm. um, happen upon... The Kitsune who was eaten, like killed slash eaten by the Nogitsune. He got his tails ripped out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. How how do you think they know that he is a Kitsune, even though he didn't know it? Well, I think there are moments when Kira senses it, but also, like, I, you know, think that Kitsune's... Yeah, I think Kitsune's can probably sense it. And we notice... We know... Uh, when oh gosh, what's Kira's mom's name? Nishiko. Nishiko. What's Kira's dad's name? It's better Mister something. <laughs> Mister Yukimura. Mister Yukimura. Mister um, Mister her dad. Mister history teacher. I can't yeah. believe I forgot, but it's been a really long time since we watched season three. Mm-hmm. When Nishi- Nishiko knows when Kira is starting to get her powers. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just because I don't think it's just because she's her mom. I think it's because she senses it as a, a as a An, fellow a fellow a, a kitsune. Fellow kitsune yeah. yeah. Well, Hikari is clearly a kitsune, but don't we establish that there are like different kinds of kitsunes and like how would you? You know what? It hurts my brain. They're unanswerable. Quite all of the questions that you could have about this movie unanswerable. Yep. Yeah. Do you have any others though? No, I don't actually. Okay. What uh, about you? What is the ritual? Where did it come from? Oh my have god. Have Lydia and Argent been in communication? Well, but not only that. Maybe it's just because I was so distressed by how stupid all of this was. I couldn't tell what the fuck the ritual was supposed to do. Is it supposed to connect you to Allison so you can talk to her? I I couldn't understand, like, if it was supposed to actually resurrect her or not. And I will fully admit to being stupid. Uh Uh-huh. But that was not explained. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. And, like, Alice... Okay. When they're doing this, Lydia has, like, a little you know, envelope Mm -hmm. full of paper with her Bardo drawing on it. Mm -hmm. And she is looking at it like she's reading a list of ingredients. And it's like, this is the first step. But then we spread it out on the floor and none of that makes any sense. I actually feel like that was either uh, 
Russell being like, do some business with your prop or her not getting a direction and being like, I'm going to do some business with my prop. (laughs) For real. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Which, fair to either, because if, because I also sympathize with Russell Mulcahy here, because what was he supposed to do with this? I feel bad for pretty much everybody involved. I can't really lie to you. I really do. And also, again, if I were Arden Tour or Dylan O'Brien, I'd be sitting on my throne right now being like, I'm not going to I'm not gonna say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Okay. It's uh, a follow-up question. How does Liam know any of this? How long has he been in Japan? Why is he there? Uh, is that actually where he is? He seems to know a lot about the Nagitsune for somebody who is not in season three. Is that just because of Hikari? How did they meet? Who is she to him? How, what does he do for work? Is does he, he just work in the restaurant? Does he just work in the restaurant? Or are they like uh, supernatural investigators there? And where's that TV series? Yeah. More importantly, I cannot answer any of that for you because we're never told anything. Okay, follow-up question. <laughs> Who is Eli's mom? It's obviously <laughs> not Brayden because he is white. <laughs> you know how? Okay. Why did they not talk about who Eli's mom was? Why did they think we wouldn't wonder? If it weren't for the fact that Derek is like, you're a hail, I would think that he adopted some random baby. You know that like somebody dropped him off at the fire station. And Derek, and Derek was, like, was like, this, this baby's a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that is what it is. Right? Yeah. Um, you know how people just like get their cats out of the garbage? Like, yeah, but this is a Derek. this is a human slash wolf baby. <laughs> no, so. I mean, I honestly, I think that would be really interesting if the sheriff was like, uh, a baby was like dropped off at the station and Derek sniffed him and was like, this is a werewolf and I'll raise him for my own. But they look too much alike for that to be possible. OK, follow up question. Uh, so at the end, Allison is with Scott in Los Angeles. Does she just go immediately after that? Do they just decide to shack up even though she's 17? Is Chris OK with this? Where is Isaac? Actually, where is Isaac? But more importantly... Where's Chris at the end Where of this movie? Where's Chris at the end of this? His daughter is resurrected from the dead. Yeah. And, and he's, he's like, have fun raising a werewolf. Have fun raising a <laughs> werewolf who is only two years younger than your mental age. I, yeah, I wrote that down and I was like, Allison is 17 and Eli is 15. He doesn't have a license. Yep. Um, Actually, Allison might be 18 when she dies. I think she is, given oh, the, the fact that she's older than everybody. Good for her. Um yeah do you <laughs> right because she moves schools a lot yeah um yeah those are my questions oh my god they're just and there are so many more sorry follow-up would... question where where has peter been why does he show up is somebody telling him that this is happening he seems to just be there he seems to just be there what's the relationship like between him and malia did he float her the money to like do the hail auto is he an actor yeah <laughs> like he really just Looks so good. Follow-up question. What is Peter's relationship to Eli? He doesn't really seem to know that he exists, honestly. He calls him Peter and not Uncle Peter. Yeah. And he would, in fact, be his great uncle. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck. Malia's his aunt, I think. No. His first cousin once removed. Ha. That was impressive. Thank you. Anyway, I can ask a billion of those Mm -hmm. and none of them were answered in the text, which is weird because it brought up all those questions and was like, that's for you to figure out. I actually don't care. This movie made me think so much about um, Top Gun Maverick (laughs) (laughs) because Because. at the beginning of Top Gun Maverick, they basically are like, we know 30 years have occurred in between the original movie and the movie that's happening right now. And we're not going to tell you fucking anything 
anything about what happened in those intervening 30 years. You get like two or three sentences that really do kind of help you flesh out what's going on behind the scenes. And other than that, we're just moving forward. Which is great. I wish this movie had just moved forward. But if you introduce all this stuff that needs explanation, like a mystery baby, you need to explain that. That's not, because that's not trying to, what's what's cuckoo banana bread to me is that all of the expository dialogue, which was 80% of the dialogue, was explaining shit that happened in the show instead of explaining shit that happened in the intervening years. Yeah, and most of it was just word salad. Totally. Totally. All right. Observations. Give me an observation. Okay. So the moment, (laughs) the moment, the only thing that I could think of whenever I saw Ian Bowen on screen um, is you should let him play Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, he's foxy. He, in like the in the Robert Downey Jr. type of way. In the Robert sure. Downey Jr. kind of way. He is like Benoit Blanc to the left. He's like Benoit <laughs> Blanc if Benoit Blanc were evil. Yes, absolutely. But um, just as gay. I really, I really loved seeing him. Inexplicably, when Allison comes back from the dead, she has perfect gel red fingernails. Yeah. They were yeah, those those were shellac. <laughs> like she got a manicure. Before coming Did out of the look up to see what her nails looked like when she died? Um, you know what? Maybe get vamp for time and tell me some of your observations. Okay. Uh, the characters and actors of color were treated like props. And it's really unfortunate because, again, as I said, it feels like Hikari was only introduced so as to not get canceled for bringing back the Nemeton, for bringing back the uh, Nogitsune. And it's really sad to me that they made a character who is canonically supposed to be a genius, a small town cop like Mason, who is one of the more compelling characters, especially of season five. You cannot brand yourself as like a woke and aware show. If that's how you treat your characters of color. Um, we did not talk about this in our greater discussion of what we hated about this, but um, at the end of the movie, when Scott decides that he is going to sacrifice himself, which is the divine move, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, we find out that the three, like, Wolfsbane arrows or whatever has not actually killed him despite going directly to his heart because Hikari just, like, lent the fox spirit to him. Yeah, again, he survives because of, like, the sacrifice of Hikari, and I don't like that either. Why, if, if it's the fox spirit that saves him, it needs to be the actual person who wields the fox spirit doing that. Why on earth would you remove her agency like that? It, it is so disrespectful. They are being used as vehicles for other people's prop. And obviously, like, when I say characters of color, that does include Scott. Yeah. But there's also a gender dynamic there that you need to consider. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is so embarrassing. Girl gives up power that she could use to save the day so that man can save the day instead. Well, it's one of those things where, like, we um, have pointed out in previous episodes of this podcast when Kira was still on it that she is the most powerful character, the most powerful supernatural creature besides maybe Parrish. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that is, like, a really close call. And she um, is constantly being knocked around and not able to use her power to the fullest. Yes. Yep. And that doesn't make any goddamn sense to me. By the way, I did just look it up. It looks like Allison's nails are painted red. But okay, if she comes back exactly as she was before she died, why does she have amnesia? Yeah. Yes. I don't understand it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, follow-up observation, which had nothing to do with the other ones. Sure. Uh, Scott playing lacrosse was comically unnecessary. If you wanted to include lacrosse, it needed to be a game at Beacon Hills High. It needed to be under those lights, and it needed to be Eli playing bringing in Scott just to do a backflip and score a goal 
is so weird and embarrassing. And it's like, dude who never left hometown goes to high school football game. It was so stupid. It was so stupid. And it also, I think, is kind of what you expect from Scott. And it would have been so much more interesting to subvert that. And have him be a guy who never came back to his hometown, which is kind of what they were trying to do by saying he never comes to visit Melissa, which I also don't believe. No, no. That was so weird. Yeah. Oh, and finally, all of the flashbacks beyond the one where we see Allison's like showing up at the vet clinic with a dog. That I did like. I liked that. And I was like, if that's the only one, that's fine. They do. There is like six, not six. There is like three big, like long ass flashback montages that happen at the end of this movie that waste like two minutes of screen time each and are all so horrifically unnecessary because instead of making a movie that anyone could watch, you made one where you would have to explain everything to everyone new and re-explain all that shit to people who are not us and made a podcast about this movie, about this show. Do you know what those um, montages make me think of? What? ASPCA commercial. Oh my God, totally ASPCA. In the arms <laughs> of the angel. That might as well have been playing. Literally, where was Sarah McLaughlin? You know what? This movie would have been better if <laughs> Sarah, Sarah McLaughlin had played. Legit. Um, my last thing that I want to say about observations. Uh-huh. If this movie wanted to lean into high camp, they needed to run on all fours through the woods. Yeah. <laughs> like, if this movie was going to be like this, I wanted to see some all fours running. Um, I wanted the bloody beetroots to show up. I want I want to see Malia all fours running in yeah. particular. Not as a coyote, as a human person. Okay. Julia, you want to dish out our pack stats? Oh, God, yeah. There were so many. There were 26 eye flashes. Embarrassing. Gratuitous. Five claws. Not enough. Um, Legitimately, Scott's claws, when he is saving that little dog, it looks like you could buy them as press-ons at Ulta beauty.com um maybe they did maybe they did oh, i don't know the i wasn't in charge yeah. and only three shirts but one of them was malia fully fucking naked so i'm gonna count well allison four. was also naked so five if we count two per naked per naked yeah. yeah so five five shirts off and none of them were tyler posey did any sirens pass us while we were doing this i heard one so so faintly okay so in one siren yeah and one siren great uh, Julia, since we usually grade the movies we watch, what would you give the Teen Wolf movie? D plus. D. I'll give it a D. D. The plus is for my the- two most favorite boys who actually got to say things, Jackson and Peter. It would have been like still a D plus if Liam had gotten to say something. This is a D. Perhaps it would be a D minus if I didn't have Teen Wolf nostalgia. I I'm really. Oh. This movie is unwatchable. Please don't mistake me by the D plus. Yeah. Um, I would, I'm never going to watch it again. I will never watch it. Ever, ever. And I'm so disappointed to say that, but I will say, I feel optimistic about Wolfpack. Yeah. I've the murmurings around have been great. We will be returning to do a review on Wolfpack. That is the future of the Teen Wolf Free Wolf. Once we finish up the society for OSW and then we'll go back to OSW and then maybe we'll do some more stuff for side flicks. We're busy, but I, if the sacrifice of the Teen Wolf movie being bad is Wolfpack being good, I think I can handle that. I'm excited to start reviewing it. I'm obviously disappointed. I hope you guys found this entertaining, if at all cathartic. I know there was a lot of disappointment. And if you really like the Teen Wolf movie, I'm not telling you not to because I'm not going to yuck your yum. I was just explaining why I personally didn't like it. We all could use some joy. If you got it from this, kudos. 
Yes. Good for you. Yep. Other than that, if you guys are interested in keeping up to date with our Wolfpack coverage, follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf. From there, there's a link train about our bio, which connects you to our other podcast ventures. We have One Season Wonders, which is where we review shows that only got one season. We're about to finish The Society. I think next we're going to do Freaks and Geeks. Not quite sure yet. We also review movies on our movie podcast, uh, SideFlix. It's at SideFlixPod on Twitter. If you want to buy us a coffee for our efforts, you are welcome to do that. The coffee link is in that bo- it was in the link tree as well. Other than that, we love you. Mm-hmm. We missed you. I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, uh, woo!